Have you ever felt alone? I mean, genuinely alone in your life. As I was preparing for this uh, message series, I took some time to reflect on my life and um, think about times that I genuinely felt alone. And there's one memory that stands out in my lifetime as a time of great loneliness. And it's a vivid memory in my life. I remember I was sitting on the floor in an old European wooden phone booth that looked like something you would see in a, like in a 1950s or 1960s movie. And I was on Spangdalem Air Base, Germany, uh, and I was deployed for Operation Enduring Freedom during my service in the Air Force. And it was during uh, Christmas time, and I was consumed with um, 12-hour shifts and seven-day work weeks with sorties flying downrange each day. But on this um, rainy winter's night, I was sitting on this old phone booth floor in tears as I received news that my only living grandparent had passed away. Um, And I had no friends. There were only a handful of us that had been deployed from the base I was assigned to. And I had no family around me. Um, And at the time, in this time of my life, I had had little, I had no faith in my life. I felt as alone as I've ever felt in my life. When I think of the word alone and being alone, I can think of no other memory in my life than sitting on that phone booth floor in Germany. And I genuinely believe that all of us here today have experienced the pain of being alone. I think it's something universal that we've all experienced at one time or another. Um, But it's not just pain, is it? I don't think it's just pain. If you think back to that time in your life, maybe it was the passing of a loved one like it was for me, or perhaps it was a broken relationship, or or maybe it was the loss of a job, or a betrayal of a close friend, or maybe the infidelity of a spouse or or significant other, or or maybe it was being left behind when when friends moved on or or got married or started having kids and and you didn't, or maybe it was even a time of feeling abandoned by God. Whatever the situation was in your life, is it just pain that you felt or that you feel? From my experience, it wasn't just pain. There was something more to it. There was, there was more emotion and there was or connection rooted in, in a feeling inside of me that, that, I, that I couldn't articulate at the time. It's like there was something wrong. Whether it was something wrong with the situation or something wrong with me, there was, there was something not right. Something was broken. And, and as I reflected on that situation, sitting on the floor the old phone booth that was a relic of the Cold War, I, I can see that there was a piece missing at that moment 
that I couldn't identify at the time. You see, in, in our moments of true loneliness and separation, we feel as though things are not the way they're supposed to be. And it's like that there's something wrong with the world and the universe even, like, like that there's, it's just not right. And while we may, we may not be able to articulate it, we, we know, we, we just know that something's wrong, that it's just not right. And in those moments of being alone, we may feel sad or we may feel angry or frustrated or hurt or broken, but we also feel like something is missing. More importantly, underlying it all, in the back of our minds, we know that this feeling of loneliness is just not the way that it's supposed to be. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. You see, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. We are a new creation in Christ, but a loving father also created us. And so King David said in Psalm 139.1 and 13 and 14, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You made all of my delicate inner parts of my body and knitted me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Here's the point. God not only remakes us in Jesus Christ, but God made us out of his marvelous workmanship. And we are created to live in relationship. At the beginning of creation, God created everything, the entirety of the universe. Now, I'm not going to argue with, with anyone here today about the process of creation, but I will boldly stand before you and declare that God created. And in creation, God looked around and saw that everything was good. He saw the stars, the moon, and said it was good. Trees, plants, flowers, birds, animals, fish, all of them. Good, 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 good. Everything in the universe, everything, every planet, planetoid, satellite, asteroid field, comet, neutron star, solar wind, even the duck-billed platypus, every single thing, good, 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 except one thing. One thing in the entire creation account, one thing required God to go back and do it again to make it good. The proverbial icing on the cake. You're going to like this part. Some of you. Half of you. In Genesis 2, God places the first man, Adam, in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But as Adam walks the world alone, it soon, become, it soon becomes evident that something is not quite right. Something is, quote, and I'm quoting God here, not good. In verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. 
over and over again in creation account, God has said it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good, but now it is not good. It is not good. Now, country music may tell you, as a fan, I know, this is hard for me to say, but country music may tell you that all you need is a faithful dog and a big truck, and your world will be okay. But God said that it is not good for humankind to walk this life alone. This is not just a passage that talks about marriage and couples. This is a relational dynamic that plays out continually throughout Scripture and in our lives to this day. And to illustrate this concept of created to live in a relationship, we're going to jump ahead a few years out of the Garden of Eden and focus on the next generation for just a moment. So Adam and Eve are thrown out of the garden because of consequences of their choices. I'm sorry to tell it be the burden of the bearer of bad news, but every action that we take has a consequence. If you didn't know that, I apologize to be the bearer of bad news. Actions have consequences. Adam and Eve have to start their life together. It's not easy. It never is. In the garden, God provided everything. Now they need to work for everything they have. They have to work to survive. Sounds familiar. Reality passes to the next generation. And here's how Genesis accounts the events. Adam and Eve, or Adam has relations with his wife. Eve becomes pregnant. Then she gives birth to Cain. With the Lord's help, I've produced a man. And then she later gives birth to his brother named Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought his gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs of his flock. The Lord accepted Abel as his, and his gift, and he did not accept Cain in his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Mm. The next generation begins with two brothers. Cain, the oldest, born to Adam and Eve, and he works the ground. He's a farmer. Abel, the second-born son, becomes a shepherd. Both sons followed the teachings of their parents and brought offerings to honor God. The oldest, Cain, brought some grain he harvested. Abel, unlike Cain, brought the best that he had from his firstborn lambs. God accepted Abel's gift, but not Cain's. Now, we can see the sibling rivalry, pretty clearly coming through the story. It's, it's easy. I'm the oldest son, respect me. I'm the youngest son, hear my voice. I'm important too. We can understand the frustration on Cain's part. Maybe he's mad at himself or maybe he's mad at God for not caring about his attempt. Um, farming is harder than shepherding. Come on now. No, shepherding is harder than farming. We can see the pride that may shine through on Abel's side. Or maybe we can see Abel, maybe he's bragging to his older brother. Look what I did. Either way, as outside observers, we see warning signs of the breakdown of a family relationship. Which is funny because we can see it in other people's relationships, but we don't see it in our own. But God is not pleased with Cain's sacrifice. But he still is present, and he's willing to talk to Cain about it. Which, if you think about it, is pretty awesome. So the story continues. This is God talking to Cain. Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? Mm. 
you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. God is saying, you know what to do, Cain. You know what's expected of you. You know what to do. And this is like the epitome of foreshadowing right in the beginning of Genesis. Abel has been blessed by God, which made Cain angry. God speaks directly to Cain. How many of you would love it if God would speak directly to you in your life? I know I would. That would just make things so much easier in life. What a blessing. If you would just do what is right, Cain, then things would work out for you. But if you refuse to, you need to watch out, Cain, because sin is crouching at your door. It's like a lioness, ready to pounce, eager to control your thoughts and your actions and your minds. You must subdue it and become its master or else it's going to master you. And if you're living in that place today, maybe these words are for you. If today you find yourself in the middle of a relationship breakdown, know that God still speaks through his word. Still, to this day, speaks through his word. God's warning to Cain can be a warning for our relationships today too. Our relationships can come under the attack of sin and of the, under the, evil, the attack of the evil one. Cain did not listen to what God said to him. And we don't have to make the same mistake that Cain did. Because one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and Abel was killed. After the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain replied. I, I see my oldest son, Jacob. Ooh, am I my brother's guardian? What have you done? The Lord said. Free will is a blessing. It is truly a blessing, but it is also a curse sometimes. Because it allows us to choose to follow God, but it also allows us to make significant mistakes in our lives. We can choose to do the right things and we can choose to not do what we should do and fall away from God's direction in our lives. It allows us to hurt people. It, allows, it allowed Cain to kill his brother. Remember, every decision, every choice comes with a consequence. So when God asked Cain about Abel, Cain says, I don't know, am I my brother's guardian? And other translations say, am I my brother's keeper? And that word keeper in the Hebrew um, is the word sh uh, shamar, which translates as guardian um, or to keep, to guard, to protect, to observe. And so Cain is, God is asking Cain, is it, or Cain is asking God, is it my responsibility? Is it my responsibility to guard or protect or to watch out for my brother? And do you know what the answer is? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. It was Cain's job to watch over Abel. Not because he was the older brother. Not because he was a member of the family. Not because he was in the same field as him. The answer is yes because God created both Cain and Abel to live in relationship together. Like us, we are designed, and they were designed, to live in connection with each other. So I'm going to do something 
amazing, and you're going to be blown away. I'm going to draw some amazing pictures, and you're going to be so fascinated by my artwork. Um, you have no idea. Those of you who have been in the DeWitt campus know how amazing my artwork is, um, so don't give it away. Um, photographs can be taken after the worship service. I'm going to start by drawing a triangle, if I can. Um, this is a triangle, I think. Um, triangle. Going back to Genesis chap or chapter 1, verse 6, we find God's creation of humankind described like this. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Then we find in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was with God. And we know and understand that God exists within relationship. We name that complex relationship as the Trinity. We all know this. We call it a divine ministry. That's the label that we are told in seminary or cemetery, however you call it. Um, but we call it that because it's nearly impossible to use human language to articulate the complex reality of the relational nature of God. Because God exists in this infinite reality. Father, creator of all, Son, Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the sustaining presence of God. So for our current discussion, triangle equals God. Everybody okay with that? And it represents the relational nature of God. Three parts, all one, existing in relation together. Now, um, Thomas, not Thomas Aquinas, um, St. Patrick, um, not necessarily famous for green beer, but famous for other things in life as well. But St. Patrick, um, when he was a missionary, used to use the three-leaf clover to describe the Trinity. And I didn't have one of those, but I did have a fidget spinner. And so I'll use this. Um, but he described it as there's three lobes on a, a fidget spinner or a clover. Each are unique, each are different, and yet all is one. And I thought it was cool because I could go like this. And those who know me know that I uh, have trouble focusing sometime. And so each part is interconnected, like a triangle. The triangle is actually an early Christian symbol for the Trinity. Three points, all living in relationship. And here's the, uh, the image, all existing as God at once. That's why it's a divine mystery because our language is challenging. Now, point is, God is here, Trinity, existing within relationship with itself. Three pieces, all one. Over here, another exceptional drawing. I'll let you figure out what it is. There's a person, stick figure. Um, pictures after, please. Um, but we know that God said that it was not good for a person to be alone. So here we have a person. Quite on the contrary, we know also that as individuals, we were created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. So here's the breakdown. Genesis says that we are created in the image of God. In the Latin concept is the imago dei, made in the image of God. God's very nature is inherently relational, right? Trinity, three in one, relationship. God exists in the relationship. Fidget spinner spins. The first thing that God sees in all of the created universe is that this one person is bad. 
One person is bad. Walking through life alone is bad, regardless of what country music says. We are meant to live in relationship with others. And this is where the foundation of our series begins. Others. More stick figures. I know. It's an amazing picture. I don't mean to embarrass anybody if this um, makes you uncomfortable with having such beautiful artwork in front of the worship center. Here's how it works in a quick breakdown. This circle represents our relationships with other people. Our relationships with other people. These are our family, our friends, our coworkers, our volunteer buddies, our neighbors, our regular service providers, like the people that you run into, your, your, the service workers, the people who make your coffee that you regularly interact with. If you frequent Main Street Cafe, the waitress that you know by name. Every relationship that you have. We live in authentic relationship with the people around us and we begin to grow together. However, growing together with people is not the same as developing our relationship with God. So as we individually connect back to the source of love in our lives, which is a key part of this, we connect back to God. We live in relationship and experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ, the sustaining presence of the Holy Spirit, and experience and recognition of that creative aspect of the creating function of God. God's love and grace also pours out on us. And I know someone's going to be that person who says, well, doesn't God pour out his Holy Spirit on everyone all the time? Yes, he does. But for our illustration today, we're talking about one person. We're talking about one person at one time. And yes, God is constantly, always and everywhere, pouring out on each of us in our lives. So as we live out our relationships with other people, we then begin to be conduits. So as this happens, changing colors, folks, this is where it gets good. If my dad were here, he'd yell at me because he's colorblind. As this happens, God's love outpours on us, and we reciprocate here, and then we start doing this, and it has a cumulative effect, and it starts going both ways. And all of a sudden, we become conduits of God's love and grace in the world, and it exponentially grows. And God's kingdom is built a little bit each day and in each relationship that we have. And something kind of amazing happens. I would say it's the epitome of Christian amazing. As we live in a relationship with God, and as we live in a relationship with other people. God's unending love and grace becomes a perpetual, never-ending, connection. I drew a figure eight over the whole circle between God, us, connecting to other people. You might say, this is common sense, Tim. I know all this. Why is it important? I'll tell you why it's important and why it can change your life. I need to take you back to Germany, to that phone booth. 
for you to understand why this is so important to me as a person and why it matters in your relationships and in your lives. And the most Excuse me. In a time of my life where I was most alone, no family, no friends, and no faith, this was not happening for a few reasons. One, I had no family and no friends. There was a wall here. This was broken. There was no cycle there. I just broke the connection between my circle of relationships. I was not reaching out to God. This was broken. And there was no cycle between me and God. The only thing that was happening in this perpetual cycle of love, grace, mercy, and outflow was that God was constantly reaching out to me and I continually made the choice to reject God. Do you see why it matters? When I turned my life to Christ and I began to realize why relationships matter, and I realized that God was there through it all, no matter what, even though I chose not to respond and I chose not to connect with people. See, these barriers were my choices. These are things that I decided to do. My family was calling me. My friends were calling me. And I refused to return their phone calls. God never stopped reaching out to me. I stopped reaching out to him. If you're living in a time of loneliness right now, I want you to understand and know, and I would encourage you to not be like me, to be like I was, and to know that God is constantly reaching out to you, just like he is reaching out to every single person with unending love, with unending grace and mercy and forgiveness, and he loves us too much to leave us the way that we were. We were created in the image of God. We were created to live in relationship with God, to walk with God, just like Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and so many others throughout history, and to walk with other people because, as God said, it is not good for us to be alone. And when we fail to do so, the very core of our being, the very essence of who we are, tells us that something is wrong, that it is not right. Something is missing in our lives, and we can feel the tension inside. And it's not just pain. It's not just pain that we feel. The fact is, is that we're not living into our God-given created nature. But it goes beyond how we're created to be. Like Cain and Abel, we wrestle with the realities of sin and evil and brokenness in the world. Our relational nature provides us with the safety and security because life is 
hard sometimes. It's not a question of if the trials will come. It's a question of when they're going to arrive. And we're created to live in a relationship. But there's also... There's a vital purpose that these relationships play. And I think um, the teacher, Kohelet, or the the author of Ecclesiastes, names it well in chapter 4 when he says, Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person fails, the other can reach out and help. But someone who fails alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can you be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two people standing back to back can conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You see, relationships are useful not just for survival, because who wants to merely survive life? I would rather thrive at life. Jesus said in John 10.10, I came for life and life abundant or abundantly. Part of thriving in life is finding that abundant life that Jesus spoke of and is learning. And to do that, we have to learn to live in healthy relationship with God and with others. So each of us has a significant value, and not because I say that we have significant value, but because of where we come from. Our value is not defined by me. Our value is defined by the image that we've been created in. And that image is a relational image. Because God lives in relationship. We too were created to live in relationship. We're all connected, and it's by design. Never forget that if you feel alone, you're not. That you're never alone. God is always outpouring his love and grace into your lives whether you choose to respond or not. The foundation of building a healthy relationship in our lives is based on the reality that we are created by God to live in relationship. So I encourage you today to choose to live into those relationships, both with God and with others. Let's take a moment to pray together. Holy God, we are so grateful that you took so much time and energy to make us your masterpiece. And we claim our identity in you. Lord, some of us today are in times of loneliness. We ask that you would open our ears and our hearts to your calling so that we can reach out to you and accept the love and grace that you offer us in our lives. Some of us remember our times of of loss and of loneliness. Lord, and we are so grateful for your abiding presence through it all. God, we ask that you would help us to build healthy relationships with others, with all of those in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus the Christ that we pray. Amen.